0: The Big Footy Port Adelaide podcast is proudly sponsored by New Vision.
1: My team,
2: Condor Power. I love the power. Power, power. I love the power.
0: power. G'day, everyone. Macca19 here, and this is the Big Footy Port Adelaide podcast coming to you live on Port Fan Radio. Joining me in the co host chair once again, we have Portia and Fishing Rick. How are we? Hello.
1: Oh, was... shared love, Porsche.
2: Yeah, I was actually thinking that um, it might be actually time for you to take over again because I think we're running out of mileage on, you know, you being slightly annoyed at being third in line.
1: <laughs> <laughs> well, we've got joint love tonight, so we can, we can, yeah, I can be equally pleased with you.
2: Yeah, yeah, absolutely. It's not as good, though. It's not as good. <laughs>
1: <laughs> I've <laughs> slightly moved up, and you've slightly moved down the pin order.
2: I know, I know. It's like you've got a priority pick in the draft, or something. It's not right. Well, punch- what about Matt?
1: What about Macker? He's probably feeling like he's in trouble. He's got to pick favourites. Uh,
2: yeah, I don't know. Maybe it's
0: like <laughs> I love everyone, Rick. You should know that. I
1: know you're such a diplomat. <laughs> that is, yeah.
0: and as a special guest, we have Triby. How are we, guys? Super good. King Amongst Men, how are you going? Good, it's the Quadrangle of
3: Doom tonight, I see. It is. Shotgun Dan Stewart, so.
1: Oh, there we go.
2: Who else was in the Quadrangle? Damon Damn White. Mick Salter. Oh, God, okay. You'll yeah, be Damon White. He was like, I think he was, a, honestly, I think if we had Damon White on our list right now, like the age he was then, we'd be playing him every week, frankly. I think he was, he was a
0: gun, Whitey. I like Whitey. Yeah,
2: Well, he was a role player. He did, you know, he would have been great as a second forward. And, you know, just like as, as a lead-up person, as a secondary option to Shorts this year, he would have been awesome. Yeah. That's it. Actually, that would be a fun thing to do. One episode is to work out which fringe players of yesterday do you think would get a run today? Like, I'm just thinking Danny Morton over kane in any day. You know, like, <laughs> Danny Morton was awesome.
0: Sorry, anyway, I just. I I still feel there's a spot for Nathan Steinburner in the side at the moment, to be honest. Who's
2: dog's out?
1: That's
0: the next door neighbour's dog, I think. (laughs) Anyway, speaking of the dogs, let's uh, talk about the SANFL. Port played central in the semi final on Sunday, and surprise, surprise, it was another loss by less than a kick, losing 10, 14 to 11 goals, 3. Johnny Butcher, the star, with three goals. Billy Frampton kicked two. Uh, pretty much the story of our season, really, it, uh, at both AFL and SANFL level. Look like shit for a half, then do what we can to get back into it, only to fall heartbreakingly short.
1: Yay, do think,
2: Maggie's! Do you think, So, I'm just thinking about like, what's different between us and all the other clubs in the finals, and obviously for you know, people playing at S N F L clubs now, there's no AFL players there, so everyone there, like, this is their championship, this is their important end of the year. Whereas for most of the um, the Magpies players, like this means that their year is over and they've failed and they're just killing time. I'm just wondering if that's enough of a factor to just really um, hurt us come finals time as far as motivation to, I suppose, be professional and play as hard as they can. What do you reckon?
3: I absolutely agree. What was Andrew Moore doing out there, if at all? mm. mm. Like, Andrew Moore was playing like he was already on the Copacabana in his, uh, you know, red Speedo to go with his red hair. I mean, I, <laughs> it was exceedingly frustrating that a guy who's potentially playing for his future, I mean, even if he's been told there's a line through his name here, what's he not doing trying to, you know, put his name in the shop window elsewhere and giving his very best? I mean, a, a player of Andrew Moore's... Ability and at his age bracket, I mean, he should have been able to shell thirty touches in those conditions without even blinking. And to be honest, his performance was unacceptable, and really, he probably shouldn't have played.
0: Yeah, what did he have? Three touches the halftime. You know, for a former first round draft pick who's played a fair bit of AFL footy, you know, he pretty much dominates the SANFL during the season. I mean, to have that at halftime of a cutthroat final was pretty, uh, pretty damn poor, I think. And you know, he, he played a pretty poor final last week as well, so I don't know what that means for his AFL chances of, of getting another gig elsewhere, but you, you would say he's odds-on to be delisted from us at least.
2: Do you think that, And um, again, just going back to the One Club thing and how previously, you know, uh, I feel like if players were um, on the list at the end of the year when they were assigned to Sturt or God knows whoever and they were going to be on the way out, like they just didn't have to play... Um, Do you think that the fact that, you know, we're one club now, we actually do need a a competitive final side, is forcing us to make players play on when they're clearly not interested anymore? And do you think that's a good good thing?
1: Well, where's the professionalism in the player? Surely, um, regardless of the situation, you're still motivated to play. You know, irrespective of money, you you should be a competitive uh, sports person, have pride in your performance. And if you can't generate... Uh, the ability in yourself to compete, no matter what the level is, um, to win and wanting to win, well, that's probably the reflection in his uh, in his overall ability at this level.
2: Well, you say that, but if he's look, if like if he's eyeing another AFL job, this game won't matter. If, the, if there's anyone actually interested in taking him, like no one will watch this game and then decide on this game that Andrew Moore's, <laughs> Andrew Moore's not worth picking up. They'll use the rest of his career for that. But um, he hasn't
1: shown anything in the rest of his career, so maybe he needs to show something in this in this final series with the Maggies. I mean, what he's, he hasn't really done himself any benefits for anyone that might be potentially interested in picking him up.
2: Yeah, but on the other hand, he might have already decided, not, if his manager's not getting any calls from other clubs saying, hey, we're interested, he might already be working out a VFL side to go play with next year, in which case, again, it doesn't really matter. Mm. Um, just a thought, like if we, if we think it's a motivation issue more than anything else, which realistically it probably is, do you think it's almost worth, like, if, if we're one club, basically all the power side have gone off on holiday, including, I suppose, Hinkley and the like, they're probably, or they're doing their post-season reviews or whatever else. Um, do you know if, like, Ken Hinkley makes an appearance at the Magpies game in the finals after Porter, after the power out? Like, is that something that happens? Because I, I feel like that would probably be a good thing if, you know, Hinkley was at least there, or maybe he did the half time address or whatever else and sort of got him revved up, like, you know, we are watching this, it doesn't matter.
1: Um, I'm pretty sure he was on 5AA last week and he said that uh, he watches the, all the Maggies games and so he would be here. And I think Travis Boke even went to the game yesterday with his arm in a sling. So the captain was, was also captain. there uh, watching. So I'm pretty sure Travis was also um, out in the media deriving that they weren't going to be doing too much drinking or partying until the Magp- Magpies players were also uh, finished with their season. Maybe they wanted to start Mad Monday early.
2: Yeah, but if they're both in the media, then they're not actually with the players getting them motivated, I would have thought.
1: No, Henkley was last Thursday, okay. and Travis Boak was last week as well on uh, 5AA, so that wasn't on the weekend.
2: Well, that's different, yeah. yeah. Like, I, mean, I mean, at the game, like if we're we one club, then the, the wins of the other side matter, right? Uh, and if there's no yeah. power, there's really not a reason why you wouldn't say, oh, you know, Ken, we know you're doing post-season reviews, but can you come down to the Magpies game and you know, give them a bit of a G up? before the game you know I would have thought that'd be something as one club would probably be expecting to do to some extent I don't know do you think that's unreasonable?
1: I don't think so <laughs> I, I thought I thought Ken actually sits in the box I know he was last year I don't know if he did this year but uh, I'm quite sure that Ken was sitting in the box at times for the Maggies games and uh, I think it's not unreasonable at all if you're gonna I mean what's worse is if you talk the talk about supporting the Maggies from that higher level, Mm. but then you don't, well, then you are going to have disillusioned oh, players, aren't you? Because it's setting an expectation, so that's not actually being uh, delivered. So you'd think if they're talking the talk, they would deliver that.
2: Yeah, well, I mean, I don't have all the information. I'm just sort of hypothesising here, but... Yeah, know, yeah. If, if the power have gone on holiday, like all the power are pretty much on holiday, then that's, I don't know, like Magpies are still playing. If we think it's important, we have some presence, at least at the top level.
0: I thought they were holding off on their holidays until the Maggies had finished.
2: Well, that's different between going on holiday and being on holiday.
0: You know who
3: else is going to be on holidays? Who? Kate Mitchell. Because, honestly, that guy... I remember seeing Scott West a few years ago in a forlorn attempt to break into the Western Bulldogs side for finals. He went away, I think he played at Werribee, and he'd come back from an ankle injury or something, and there was this awful amateur footage of him limping around, just playing awfully in the middle... And the talk went from can Scott West break into the side to Scott West has finished. And this vision of this 33-year-old guy limping around absolutely put a line through his entire career. And I'm Mm. sorry to say, Kane Mitchell's performance on the weekend was so awful in terms of a complete lack of awareness. He double-grabbed and triple-grabbed everything that came his way. He couldn't hit basic 10-metre targets. I mean, he's gone from... You know, maybe he's a fifty-fifty proposition to be delisted. He might get another year at the power next year. So I reckon he absolutely put a line through himself on the weekend. What do you reckon?
0: Yeah, I reckon you're probably pretty much spot on, tryby I reckon, uh, as you said, he's gone from maybe maybe getting another year um, to probably not now. I, don't, I just don't see. I've been a fan of uh, of K Mitchell in the past. I was really happy with how he was playing early in the season, and you know he, he played a big part in a couple of wins earlier in the year, but. You know, since then, he's, um, yeah, I don't know. I, I just don't see it. Um, he's too small. He doesn't have the strength. Um, his foot skills are shocking. Um, he's obviously a great bloke to have around the club, but as we've spoken about on the podcast before, you know, you can't just pick guys because they're good fellas. You know, you've still got to pick guys on their football talent.
2: Yeah. Yeah.
3: <laughs> <laughs> uh- Agreed. Nailed it.
2: <laughs> I, I look, I think that as far as Kane Mitchell, if you want a slight diversion to one of my hobby horses, um, is that when you're a small player in the AFL, and that's like a small midfielder like Kane Mitchell or any kind of small forward, um, your top end, like your maximum performance, it's good, but it's probably not essential to a lot of sides. You know, if you can find someone taller that does something similar, you choose the taller person every time. So what that means is that if you are going to be a really good small player, player at AFL level, you have to put in every week Um, and absolutely put in every week. I mean, you know, look at someone like Brent Harvey. How many games did he play? He's a small player and he's bloody brilliant, you know, because he always plays his guts out every week and he's smart and he's got good instincts. And that's really the sort of player you need to be to get that kind of performance uh, and to stay in the AFL. So um, you can't afford to have a week off when you're a smaller player in an AFL side, I feel. And that might be exactly what's happened here.
1: He's still contracted, though, right? Is he? I'm not sure if he is. Well, I thought when, he had another year.
2: When you get promoted from the rookie list, I think that if you're under a certain age, you automatically get two years. But I think if you're over that age, you get you can get one or two. So right. I don't hard to know. Um,
1: I'll go to Forza's um, contract links page and uh, and see what's on there. Forza has Kane Mitchell coming out of contract this year. Mm. As well as John Butcher, Mason Shaw, Andrew Moore, Jay Schultz, Mitch Harvey, Joe Redden. Well,
0: I'd be I'd be very surprised if Kane Mitchell was at the club next year. As much as he's a great fellow, I, I just don't think he's got an AFL future. And I think at this stage, I mean, there's probably players coming through that you want um, you know next in line as opposed to him. You know, Carl Amon probably deserves more of a go. You might want to give someone like Darcy Byrne Jones a bit of a go as well. So mm. I don't know. I don't think it's looking good for Kane.
3: No. it's a bad year to be out of contract and have your name be Kane
2: (laughs) (laughs) they they kind of left the club in different ways though right
3: a little bit uh, (laughs) probably just a little yeah now that I think about it
2: yeah the disappointing thing is we got it the wrong way around because the one from Glendale got the good send off and the one that's playing at the Magpies is just sort of probably going to get delisted so we should really do that the other way around ideally (laughs)
1: All right.
0: well enough about the Maggies Uh, Let's talk about the AFL Finals It was week one, Um, it's come and gone Three good games and one walkover I guess there's uh, two points that I take out of this Um, First one is that uh, I think we're in the box seat to get the first ever Derby Grand Final, which uh, I think is pretty exciting, both WA teams winning through to home prelim finals for the first time And the second point is Lowell Richmond (laughs) I'll,
2: I'll address the first point first, which is that it was kind of obvious that those teams were going to win first week. And I'm just wondering if you still think Hawthorne are going to knock one of them off in a prelim.
1: Nah. Oh, maybe. They could maybe knock off Freo, because Freo, I'm not convinced with Freo. They, they seem to just be spluttering along still. But West Coast remind me of Hawthorne in 2008 where we had Clarko's cluster and uh, teams couldn't pick up fast enough to beat it. And it seems Simpson's... Um, uh, structures this year have caught everyone by surprise, and they haven't been able to find a way to sort of regularly put a chink in it to beat them.
0: Can they beat? Can Hawthorn beat Frio in a prelim? I
1: think they can. So um, yeah, I can see. I thought I was really impressed by Sydney's performance with the injuries they had before the game, and then some of the injuries they had during the game. Um, you know, they really uh, stuck fat, and uh, they probably should have beaten Frio in the end. And. It, it wasn't for poor kicking a goal, they uh, they would have come away with the chocolates.
0: Seven uh, goals, 18. It's not very good, that's no for way. sure. And look, I, I definitely agree. I think uh, Sydney had every chance to win that game and just uh, just couldn't put it on the
2: scoreboard. Do you think, like at a certain... In week one, it can be weird in that sometimes you get someone trying to take a scalp, but sometimes you just get to a certain point in the game where both teams just think, OK, we'll do what we can to just stay around, but we're thinking about next week already. Like, you know, if Sydney had... Like, take Sydney, for example. If they'd tried all out and won, that'd be great. But if they try all out and lose, then they've got to back that up with the final next week. Um, you know, uh, that's not an ideal situation, so... I reckon they were trying. They yeah, were right. They had, the last
0: five, they had the last five scoring shots and kicked one goal four. I mean, had they kicked a couple more goals, they would have been right in
2: it, but... Yeah, but I'm saying that Frio were saving themselves, like they were not they were thinking we'll do just enough to win. And I imagine that Sydney were competing, but if Frio were playing to absolutely destroy Sydney, which they have no reason to do, it might have been a different story in any case.
0: And I guess the other game to talk about, Richmond. What do you have to say about Richmond? I mean just year after year, <laughs> why would you support Richmond? Unbelievable.
1: Can we laugh at Troy Chaplin trying to take on Nahas and getting tackled holding holding the ball? Um, And then throwing his teammates under the bus
0: five seconds (laughs) later by blaming them. It was just classic, (laughs) epic Troy Chaplin.
2: (laughs) Yeah, I mean, honestly, I can sort of understand why people are Richmond fans in that it's just they have so much drama like all the time, like every... Week it seems like it's either a tragedy or it's an amazing success, and obviously that's probably a sign of some kind of emo- emotional disturbance in most cases. But it's I suppose if you're someone that doesn't really care too much about football, uh, it's not a bad team to follow. It'd be nice if they played more finals if you were a Richmond fan, I guess. I don't know.
3: <laughs> if I could paraphrase, good friend of the program Art Vandelay, shout out to Art um, at the. <laughs> <laughs> it's a great guy. He only posts like once every four years, but he loves the program. Um, If I could paraphrase his comment from last year's elimination final, it's you keep on coming up with new ways to break your fans' hearts, is what he yelled out when we were in the middle of our eight-goal avalanche, and there is nothing truer. They were always going to get beaten by this North Melbourne side, which to me, I mean, I could be delusional, I could be biased, I could be churlish, I think the majority of the sides in this finals campaign are absolutely and utterly pedestrian, and the 2014 Port Adelaide side would have steamrolled their way to the premiership this year. If we had have been able to uh, find the form at the start of the season, find the form at the back end of the season, if we could have got into any sort of position, we would have absolutely come home and destroyed these teams who were barely standing. But I digress. Um, to be beaten by that North Melbourne side at, at a, in a home final with their famous... How many members do they have? I think it's 700,000, I think, at last count. Um, To to be beaten by that North Melbourne side is just embarrassing. And I honestly can't see how Damien Hardwick survives. I think he is at a point where I think he's absolutely squeezed the orange and there's just no more juice coming out of it, is there? (laughs) Seriously. It's just embarrassing. Troy Chaplin, my
2: lord. (laughs) Well, I don't know. Oh, like, I love it. It it depends on what your objective is. As the Richmond person, you know, finals, right? You're in the finals, so it's hard to sack a coach when your team's in the finals. Um, and Dimo is well respected, and they've got a reason to believe he's reasonably intelligent, which is great for a Richmond coach. It's unusual. Um, I don't know. I like if you sack him, it's a big call because you feel like. If you like whatever Dimmer's next job is, so if he I don't know takes over from Rodney Eat or whatever in a couple of years time, um, you feel like his next job. If he's at a non dysfunctional club, he could be actually a pretty good coach because he's got Richmond to where they are um, and like a premiership threatening coach. So if you're a Richmond, if you're the Richmond board, how do you how do you sack him thinking that he has that capacity to just absolutely burn you? Because that'll end your time on the board. Um or this it, its always the CEO, like that'll that'll have questions over you. So I don't know, it's hard to, hard to do.
3: To get is it coaching or is it leadership? Yeah. To get nothing out of Trent Conscient two years in a row. I mean this guy's spoken about as a you know, a Brownlow medal caliber elite on um, baller. And for the second final in a row, he has had literally no impact when it's mattered most. Brandon Ellis was another one.
0: Three How many people...
3: In a final by Ugh. your
0: captain, I mean it's unheard of.
3: Yeah, I mean if he can't get them up,
2: yeah. But would, right. you,
3: would you judge? Choco by running. Nick running.
2: Would you judge Choco by Nick Stevens' running as an, an example? You know, um, it's it's easy to pick a, a couple of players and say that they should be performing, but a lot of the time it's probably down to the players. I would have thought.
3: Yeah, and if you can't get if you can't get your players up, then where does the box stop eventually?
2: Well, it's hard to work out um, which one it is, or if it's both. That's not our problem, fortunately. So that's great. Very, I think true.
1: the res- I think the results are great for us because North Melbourne winning, and also I think Hardwick's safe and Brad Scott's safe. So that's fantastic for us coming into 2016. That they're both still going to be coaching in the AFL. Oh.
0: I think we'll see Hardwick go, and I think we'll see Cochin goals captain. To be honest, really? they'll make some changes. Yeah, I agree with this you. Said- you've got to make some changes
1: you reckon Hardwick will go? No. I think he will. Yep. Wow. I, I, do, too. I do Really? I, th- I think they'll
3: swing the axe. I think it'll be brutal.
1: That might set them back in their development again. But Maybe at Richmond. Richmond do- they, the, I think their they supporters
0: do. will demand change
1: after three years in a
0: row losing an elimination final. Um, twice that you're favouriting. Um, you know, it's not a good look. And again, Uh I mean, it was almost a carbon copy of the game two years ago against Carlton because they were well in front, Richmond, and they just absolutely choked in the second half.
2: Well, okay, here's a hypothetical. If you sack Damien Hardwick as the Richmond coach, do the Crows pick him up? I think they do.
0: Oh, it's possible. It's very possible.
2: That would be an absolute certainty in my opinion, and I don't know if I like that for Port Adelaide. Do you reckon Mm. they would? If he was available, hell yes. How high oh, was my voice
3: then? That was awkward. No,
2: well, respected. <laughs> he's still a he's a respected AFL player. He's got the prestige they want—that little bit of Victorian prestige. He's done a pretty good job with Richmond. Uh, you'd have to say, like you know, as Richmond coaches go, he's the, probably the best of the last six. Um, or oh, maybe Frolick, I don't know. Anyway, um, surely so, they're
1: going to give it to Campo. Why? which would be fantastic because that's what I don't think do. they will give it to Campo. No, no I, I th-
2: reckon. I don't no. reckon. No. And I think especially with um you know Hawthorne still looking the goods, um why not? Why would they not be talking to Dimmer? You know, he's got a an access to that sort of IP uh, to some extent. Um and he has as we said, as I said he's done an okay job at Richmond and why not get in a, an experienced coach to manage your side that's still dealing with losing the last one? Um, I think it's a very, it would be a very astute move if that happened.
0: Rashido's going to want to make an impact. It's either going to be fall, it's going to be Choco, or it's going to be Hardwick or some other big name. Uh, I don't think it's going to be a first-time coach like Campo, despite no. the fact that Camporelli's obviously done a very good job with what he's had to handle.
3: Yeah,
2: it won't be a first-timer for sure.
1: What tea are we having tonight, Portia?
2: Uh, same as last time. Um. No from T2. It's really nice.
1: I feel like a tea now.
2: Well, you can't have mine. Bad luck.
1: Can you send me a virtual tea?
2: (laughs) No, it'll ruin my laptop and I won't be able to continue the podcast.
1: So what about... What are you drinking?
2: (laughs) Two-minute noodle broth.
1: (laughs) 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 God, you're not at uni or something, are you, Tribal? (laughs) It's the the staple of a university (laughs) student. I
2: thought that was cold pizza.
1: That's it. Oh, what uni students can afford pizza these days? Come on. So if we're talking about coaches, what are we foreseeing with the coaching at uh, Port Adelaide? Seeing we've got uh, Chad Cord throwing his hands up in the air. We've lost Carr. We've lost Edwards. Um, obviously, there's going to be a couple of changes.
2: Uh, yeah, well, look, at what capacity does Chad want to come in? That's the question. Like, I mean, as a development coach, I have no doubt he'd be extremely good at that because he's been through a period of shaky development where he thought he was amazing. When he said it, he thought he was amazing in his first couple of years and then he had to do the work. Um, So, if he's in for that role, absolutely. If he's in for one of the senior assistant roles, I don't know. What do we reckon? Like, because he's played every position, so that's not a bad thing. Hmm. Um, He's one of those players you could say he could be the midfield or the defence or the forwards coach because he's had a crack at all of them and he understands them fairly well. So, on his playing record, you'd say yes, but I don't know what he's done at GWS. But they're doing quite well, so I don't know. Tough one.
1: Well, when I think in the media they were proposing um, that he might be keen on the Magpies' position. So I guess a development role, uh, coaching the Maggies, and uh, and just quickly Scott S on Twitter. Said that Cochran looked like he was about to vomit before they ran out. Just a bad look for a captain and a leader, but um, I didn't see it. But yeah, I uh, I don't know. I, it, it's interesting because I just remember Chad as an AFL player, you know, saying that he didn't really associate with the with the junior players until they earned their stripes. And now he's doing this whole 360 by nurturing junior players. It seems quite ironic.
2: Oh, I don't know if it's, it's a different position that you'd be in, but I'd be really surprised if he came over to coach the Magpies because that's sort of a, a fairly junior role that doesn't have a huge amount of impact on the top side. I mean, if he's doing it, like, cause he's already coaching, so, you know. I don't know. But I don't think that would happen. Do you think this rumour might be precipitating the fact that uh, Nicks is in the gun for the crows job? And as the Crows are still in finals, they can't make an announcement, but we can start looking at a replacement.
0: It's possible, but as I said, I still think they might go for someone more senior. But, uh, yeah, that's definitely a possibility. Anyway, let's move on. And uh, the reason why we're doing this podcast is a bit of a season review. So here we are. uh, Port Adelaide's not participating in the finals. Uh, 2015 was a bit of a season that uh, promised so much and will be remembered as a year of frustration, missed opportunity, um, inconsistently, and pretty much a, a year of failure.
2: I think that's a bit harsh, Macker. We finished ninth. That's not an entirely awful position. And if you fail, remember, fail, don't and, gloss it up, fail. If you remember, just three years ago, we would have absolutely dreamed of a finish like this, where we actually had a at the end of a year, a team that looks like they're going places. And I still am very much of that camp that suggests this is our equivalent of a Geelong 2006. I think it was disappointing that we didn't get what we thought we were going to get at the start of the year but at a certain point you have to look at what we actually got and I think what we actually got was a reasonable um, bit of progress. And I think our list now is stronger than it was this time last year even though our performance on field was worse. Um, I feel like we actually are in a position to realistically threaten for a premiership and not just sort of make top four which um, obviously we want premierships so that's that's good. I think, I think it was a disappointing year for fans but I think if you take the long-term view, I think this is an important year for the club uh, and it will put us in good stead in the future years.
0: The comparisons with 2006 and Geelong are there and you know it's happened with other teams, uh, quite a few other sides as well, who've had a bit of a dip before they've you know reached a, a premiership success. But I guess the issue that I have now is that it's been talked about so much this year of, um, oh, this is the Geelong 2006 year. Hopefully the players and, and the coaching staff and the club don't go into next year just expecting to improve again because it doesn't happen like that.
2: Well, I mean, I guess the upside here is that, you know, Ken Hinckley has already experienced that once and uh, that's the good thing about the terrible start to this year is you can say, hey, guys, you know, we're not going to do what we did last year. You guys are going to work your asses off. Um, he's, he's had the players put in that shit effort once and so he can hold it over them for the rest of his career. <laughs>
0: So let's uh, do a love and a hate for the season. One thing we loved, one thing we hated about Port Adelaide this year, be mate. I'll start with you. Yeah. Jeez.
3: Um, one <laughs> thing I loved, game day village was all right, wasn't it? Because um, <laughs> <laughs> uh, it was. Yeah. On field, I mean, it's hard to it's hard to really uh, it's hard to really uh, quantify anything particularly good above and beyond. I mean, Gray was still good. Wingard was great, but we knew that was going to happen. Homsch improved. We knew that was going to happen. But uh, in terms of on-field, if I could pick one game out that I really enjoyed, it was probably the North Melbourne win at uh, had because had we lost that, the season was probably over before it began. Um, it turned out to be a false dawn, but I really loved the way, for once... We got involved in a shootout with a relatively even opponent and we didn't get blown out in the last five minutes. We actually held on and won. So that was probably the one thing I loved all year.
1: Aww. That was a good game.
2: Oh, was that that was game? It was game. very
1: good. Mm. Porsche, your love?
2: Um, look, I. I'm going to keep being the positive one, it looks like. Um, I love our defence. I love how they came together at the end of this year. It's the most solid defensive unit we've had since the premiership year, Um, and they can do everything, you know. Uh, It'd be nice to have a 202-centimetre monster fullback, but who's got that? Not many people. Um, But we can stop anything else. We can choke forward (laughs) entries completely with pulls or smalls. Um, We can rebound constantly and get goals, just basically coast-to-coast goals. There's nothing our defence can't do right now and they have a good amount of faith in each other and they've stopped doing the stupid things where they don't take responsibility for their position and they're taking the game on. So I think that, I mean, our defence next year, if they keep up the form they had in the last eight games or so, um, that's a premiership defence. We'll be right up there. Uh, I think that's been the most wonderful thing to come out of this year. It was really enjoyable watching our defence. That's interesting because I thought
1: our defence went downhill during the year. I mean, our defence wasn't great against the Bombers to, for one game and there was a few others there. But uh, I know where you're going with that one, Porsche. My love is a non-game day or non-match-related uh, thing, but I actually loved our post-game tribute against Collingwood to Phil Walsh. I, um, I thought it was one of the most spine-tingling... Um, pre or post game shows that I've seen not knowing what was going to happen it seemed very genuine and heartfelt obviously and uh, seeing the song there with the with the crowd and the dark stadium which is probably a rarity in this modern stage with the with the glow of the mobile phones I just thought it was an, an amazing experience to to be at and one of those experiences which most of us will probably remember for the rest of our life.
0: My love is uh, Sammy Gray. I think he's probably the story of the year for Port Adelaide. He looked absolutely gone mid-year, couldn't impact as a small forward, showed some glimpses, but you know, you just thought maybe he just lacked that sort of final ten percent to make it at AFL level. And then gets a go in his natural midfield spot and shines. You know, it's an ugly duckling story, and uh, he's made just about everyone eat their words.
2: That's very true, myself included.
0: Indeed. Uh, so, what about our hate, Tribe?
3: My hate, um, it would probably have to be the mid-year Carlton game. Uh, I would rather watch my testicles be eaten by a King Charles Cavalier Spaniel than think about the feels that I suffered watching that abomination where our performance was probably a one out of ten. It was uh, compounded by the fact that the umpiring was probably one of those games that happens maybe once every 18 months to three years where you just think to yourself what have we done to the three men in lime to deserve this absolutely uh, asymmetrical reaming? And uh, thirdly, it was probably the realisation that, wow, you know, we've got two yeah. ways to go from here in terms of a crossroad, and have we just completely undone all the good work of the Hinkley era, or is there still a chance to salvage? Now, thankfully, we came home with a wet sail and obviously had that really good ending to the year. But, uh, yeah, that was really the... Uh, the uh, well, I can't even think of a I can't even think of a metaphor or a simile to attach to that game, to adequately explain how badly I felt about it. So I'm just going to hand it over to Portia. Your hate?
2: Um, oh, I'll, just, <laughs> I'll, just, I'll just I'll just comment on that um, simile you started with, which is that I think that that was a pretty good one you started with, where it would be uh, preferable to have your testicles chewed off by a cocker spaniel, because I think that for everyone watching it, it was probably a similar thing, and for you, it's an extremely horrible and intense experience. But for everyone else, it's just sort of a mix of revulsion and fascination and disbelief, and I think that's probably what that Carlton Port Adelaide game gave to everyone across the league, just a complete surprise and an awful surprise that Carlton would get a win, because no-one wants Carlton to get wins, God, let's face it.
0: Can Um, I just butt in and say, at least you weren't there?
2: (laughs) Well, I mean, it was the game to fly over for. Like, what did we have otherwise? North Melbourne and Hawthorne at Head. Like, that was just... They were both going to be, obviously, our losses for the year, right? So, why would you fly hmm. for us?
3: But and the around. thing was, it wasn't as if we... Like, usually when we lose games like that, we get jumped at the start and we can't get our way back into it. We started with two goals. We were playing so well. It looked like it was going to be a cruisy, dreamy, 50-point, 60-point win. And,
1: yeah, I ended up crying like a little girl. So, <laughs>
2: Fair enough. And it was also
1: the controversial game where we had no um, gumption to protect or stand up for Robbie Gray when he got wildly taken out by Bryce Gibbs, which, Very true. which caused which caused everyone to go into meltdown. All right. Can I do my hate? And rightly so. Rightly so. I thought you did your hate.
2: No, I haven't done my hate. No, that was just oh. elaborating on, on Tribes. I want to do my hate. We're still hating. It's an, it's an important one. Hatings. My hate is controversial, and I know that people out there might disagree, but my hate this year is John Butcher because we've managed Boo. to... Oh, the, the because... Butcher, come on. Allow okay. hey. hey. me to hey. explain myself. All right, so the reason why I'm saying John Butcher is because we've managed to go through another year and he's still his cat. Like, we've got no idea what we've got, except we think it's probably bad because the longer you leave the cat in the box, the more likely it's going to be dead. Um, that's my annoyance with Don Butcher. I think he's tried extremely hard, but we don't know anything about how he's getting to fit in our side. Um, he's taking a tall forward spot on our list that if we just know he's not going to be any good, please delist him and get a new one in and we'll try that. But we just have even less, even less certainty, I think, than at this time last year. It's just very frustrating um, for the club's list management, I think, and also just for fans as well who still don't know what's going on. Because if we knew he was just utter crap, you delist him and move on but there's just that little bit of hope that's just going to torture Port fans like Richmond tortures Richmond fans. I think it's not a great thing. So that's my hate. I agree
1: with that.
3: He was perfectly decent when we decided to go with him round one at Subiaco, and then we dropped him for Jared Redden, who looked like he'd just come off a bus from Tennant Creek and had never seen a football before. (laughs) (laughs) uh, What was that in terms of list management?
2: Yeah, well, look, I mean, Jared Redden, I think that uh, at the start of the year we had high hopes that he would sort of be a third Bruckman for us, but it just hasn't worked out for him, and that's unfortunate. But, yeah, I don't think anyone... I mean, I certainly was stunned by how terrible a year Jared Redden had um, compared to what I was hoping for, but um, I guess that's how it is with Bruckman coming back from injury is that they can take a long time.
1: Rick, your height? Well, similar, similar thing... But I've gone our losses that we shouldn't have lost to. So, obviously, Carlton's right up there. Um, Brisbane was another disgraceful game. I was sitting in the hospital waiting room, waiting for my son to be looked at when he knocked himself out on the farm because he's an idiot, Tyler. And, um, And yeah, I had to sit there and endure us getting smashed by Brisbane in a pathetic effort. And even the Crows, you know, how poorly we perform there. And, yeah, so our, our meekness in games where we shouldn't have been meek, uh, which really cost us our season, is probably my hate for the season. With a very lesser hate on the vanillaization of Port LA by Kevin Koch and his meekness... And being polite and trying to pacify everyone—is that right, Travi? Did I say that right? Kevin Kosh. Kevin Kosh. <laughs> Kevin <laughs> Kosh. I shouldn't read and talk at the same time, David. <laughs> <laughs> I was talking about the. I was talking about the bloody vanillaization of Port Adelaide. Oh, wish they
2: didn't say Poo Eckert.
1: <laughs> Poo Eckert. I can bring him back out. <laughs> oh,
2: that's uh, wrong on so many levels.
0: <laughs> Look, my hate's. Pretty much the same. Mines uh, wasted opportunities. We had many this year. One more goal is all we needed, and we'd be playing finals. If we kicked one more goal against the Crows, we would have taken their spot in the eight. You know, our lack of motivation in games we started favourites in was shocking. As you mentioned, we lost to Brisbane, we lost to Carlton, we lost a half a half a Geelong side at home, we lost to Sydney without their three best forwards. Pretty much handed the Crows a second showdown on a silver platter. You know, just so many winnable games that we screwed up. Um, it really was a wasted opportunity in a year that sees the flag pretty open. Alright, let's move on. And uh, I guess pre-season predictions, I think we all pretty much said that a top four in a home prelim was the base expectation for 2015. And I guess one of the questions we asked ourselves in the pre-season was, how will this group handle the expectation of being a Premiership favourite for the first time in 2015? Uh, we also mentioned that as expectation grew in 2014, we started to falter. The answer must be said we handled it pretty poorly
2: yeah um, I think that there are a lot of different factors behind our change in form for this year um, so for example we're saying top four and I know I was also saying top four but we looked at our list at the start of the year and we were you know I think everyone would have been concerned about multiple things like you know how we'll write a lobby work um, are we going to unearth a all four this year no we didn't um, what's happening with our defence, because we keep having Tringo missing with injury and every time Tringo doesn't play, we lose. Like, that was another one. Um, there are a lot of things that we were very iffy on, I feel. Uh, and, you know, it's not like we won the grand final last year or anything. We, we had clearly stuff to work on last year. Uh, so I think that maybe our expectations were unrealistic. Um, I mean, I, I guess that's easy to say in hindsight, but I think... If we were going to pick a spot and just sort of say, oh, yeah, port top four, I don't think there would have necessarily been a lot of science behind that state. Um, I know that probably wasn't from me. I just sort of said, yeah, that sounds about right. But, you know, um, those are the ones you've got to watch out for. But, yeah, I think there's definitely some mental aspects to that as well. I think it's also the style of play. So we definitely saw a change in how we took the ball up the field, I think, in the second half of the year. Um, in that we were bringing the ball closer to contest before disposal, which changes the whole ethos of the side, uh, how you play, and it also makes some uh, player types stand out like dog balls because they don't fit in with that style of play and they're the ones that have sort of ended the year in the SANFL. Um, Really, I think those are probably the main reasons, uh, but certainly, obviously, player attitude is a big part of that. Um, It's easy to get up for big games uh, for a lot of our players, and Chad Wingard is certainly one of those. Um, But when you start taking it easy against sides that you maybe don't rate as highly, then that's something you need to obviously be able to do is just put those sides away every week. And that's definitely something we... Unfortunately, I don't think we've learnt to do that this year. And that's something hopefully we'll pick up next year.
3: (laughs) In in terms of learning about the list, I think that the late unearthing of uh, Brendan Archie and Sam Gray was probably... I know they're not at all forward, and I know they don't really address a a great structural loss, Mm. but... Sam Gray, I mean, you know, it's only a small amount of exposed form, but really that end to the year is as exciting as I've seen from one of these levels of midfielder who we've never been able to get to go to that level. We we, we wanted to get it out of Nick Law and Adam Thompson. That never happened. We wanted to get it out of uh, Andrew Moore and Aaron Young. That never happened. Sam Gray looks to have actually fought through and could potentially, you know, we we get Pollock and Wines back into this team. You have mm-hmm. Sam Gray as the fifth or sixth banana running around like a blue-ass flyer like he did in the back end of the year, and we could potentially have a quality 25 to 30 disposal midfielder on our hands a sixth yeah. banana.
2: Yeah, well, I think that you, like you mentioned, Sam Gray, but obviously also, yeah, Brendan Aitchie and getting Jared Pollack back. Like, if you look at our sections on the field, um, defence I think is rock solid, even though I don't know whether you guys do from the last my love. Um, midfield now looks like it's actually got some depth and some options. So we're not just going to have to rely on Boak somehow breaking away from his tagger. You know, Sangray makes the opposition accountable. Maybe he'll get the tagger some games and then Boak, he'll actually get a bit of a run. Uh, so that'd be great. Uh, and I think our attacking uh, inside 50, like, like the half forwards, I think that we finally actually could say we might have a couple of those in uh, uh, certainly Carl Amon's one, potentially Brendan Archie, although he's probably a bit closer to midfield. Uh, and like I said, if we have Polak back and we have Maddie White for a full year, I mean we've got a, a full we've got a full side that is capable of getting a premiership, with the exception of our forward line, and that's definitely a concern. But hey, we'll get Charlie Dixon, so it's fine.
1: Well, tar- Charlie Dixon will pretty much finish that forward line off, and I think going through the hey did defence, midfield, and four, forward line, I don't think we've got any excuses come 2016. I think we've used them all this year, and there should be no reason really.
3: Agree.
2: Yeah, unless there's a lot of injuries. Yeah.
3: Now we just yeah. need a draw that's not harder than Battletoads. That would really help.
2: Yeah, but I don't know. I'm still
1: not. Even though I agree with you that it was a tough draw, I'm not sure that we can use the draw as an excuse because we got through that hard period at three and two, and everyone was saying, here we go. We've set the platform now to go onwards and upwards. And then it just sort of went. And we went all, all limp and, uh, and we lost games that we shouldn't have lost. And yeah, but really did, those, those ex- losses were inexcusable regardless of the beginning of the draw.
3: Yeah, but what did Janus say when he pulled up that stat that said, out of all the bottom six sides, we only played one at home and we didn't double up against any of them.
1: Yeah, but if we're good enough, we should be able to beat yeah, them away. Yeah, but
3: West Coast almost lost to Gold Coast who had 20 guys out but they were able to double up against about six crap sides and finish top two.
1: Yeah, well, I mean, if we had some of those double-up games, I guess our law of averages would have improved that we would have won some, and obviously we would have been in the finals. So I agree with that there. But, you know, we still... there was It was inexcusable <laughs> to lose the games that we lost. So um, And draw or not, we got through the tough patch. And yet, I know you pointed out during the week, last year leading into this year, those nine games run not that screens. we had... It was that that was a horrendous run, and there's you know, we had no favours with the draw, it's been pointed out in numerous sources. But again, I just can't help feel we got through the hard part, and I I just feel like the players maybe looked ahead a little too far ahead, like we were and the media were, and maybe they just got a little bit ahead of themselves. But um, again, hopefully, it's a lesson learned for 2016. And Jared Polex, the, the missing link for me, I think he's. He's vital for us in two thousand sixteen and I fingers crossed and just for him as a person that he can recover uh, from his injury uh, quickly. Well um, I
3: can give you a little bit of inside mail. Go okay. for it. It's a Port Fan Radio exclusive. Hashtag portfad radio, hashtag join the conversation, hashtag give me free stuff, whoever's listening. Um <laughs> I saw Jared Polek and his uh, lovely partner striding around the showgrounds midweek and I know there's a big difference between strolling around a showground and playing AFL football, but he looks in fine nick. He obviously doesn't have a moon boot on, he didn't have any noticeable limp, and he was bounding about, strolling about with absolute ease. So let's hope that the dreaded navicular bone, by the time the real stuff happens next year, will be completely healed and he'll be straight back into the team. Yeah,
2: I think that is, uh, um, that's that's a great exclusive trivia. Um, but there's a big difference between walking and playing AFL football, but, you know. He was know. carrying, he was
3: carrying a Dagwood dog in both hands. All right. do
2: <laughs> for me? Wait, wait, wait. Such a burden. <laughs> you
3: mean
2: he was carrying one Dagwood dog in both hands or one in each hand?
3: And he was like, had a show bag hanging off his shoulder. So he knew <laughs> what
0: he was doing.
2: <laughs> he had purpose. He was going, cutting through the lines, you know, getting straight to the counter. Well, let's talk about the
0: reason for our downturn, because I've, I've split it up into three sections. The first one's mental. Um, you know, I thought we saw signs in the preseason and we pretty much wrote them off as, you know, they know what they're doing, they're not going to take this for granted. You know, having an assistant coach coach the preseason games, having Kenny Hinckley uh, sit on the, the sidelines in a hammock, um, you know, resting players, going half pace. You now, did we take expected improvement for granted in 2015? Did the players just assume they would get better?
2: Um, I think that they kind of probably did assume they'd get better. But I think that... Look, I think the main thing that went wrong mentally is not their individual performance. I'm sure they probably all performed, at least at training uh, well according to their metrics. But I think that we were just missing team game in that first part of the year. Like, players weren't leading... Providing leads or options for other players that have got the ball. Um, They weren't being smart. They were just doing hospital hand passes or UFHs, you know. Um, That's really... That team play was what was missing at the start of the year. So you can have all all sorts of individual coaches doing what they're doing, but if they're not playing together and thinking about team goals, then I think that's where we fell apart. So I'm not sure who that one would fall on. Um, I suppose Ken, really, or the director of coaching.
0: Well, did the coaches not do their due diligence in ensuring the playing group were, uh, were switched on?
2: <sighs> what do you mean by switched on, Rekha? Like what, what? How do you define that?
0: like not losing to the two worst teams in the league?
2: I think that coaches don't... Like, if you're looking at a line coach, I think if they are looking at it as we lost to the worst team in the league, that's way too big picture for them to actually work with. Um, the only thing that line coaches would be doing is working with their teams and trying to work out how they interact with others and making sure that they coordinate correctly. So, you know, I'm sure then each of those games are going to be one of those line coaches that says, well, I mean, my guys tried to do their job and I was pretty happy with it. Um, because they've got a different objective. It's really, if you're looking at the whole thing, that's going to come down, I suppose, pretty much exclusively, like I said, to Ken or to Sean Hart. Um, you have the oversight of the whole thing. Um, but I think they were I think they were switched on in patches, and I think they've been switched on individually. But if you're not all doing the right things as a team, then it's very hard for individuals to do much. I mean, that's why shit teams have a couple of good players and they don't get it together. It's because there's, they've only got a couple of good players and no one else is working as hard as they are. I think that was probably part of it.
1: Well, that comes down to the coaches, and if they're not working at a um, team as a team.
2: Yeah, but does it come down to the individual line coaches? Does it come down to the development coaches? Like, where do you put that? Um, well, that comes at-
1: down to a coaching group, as far as I'm concerned. They they would look at themselves as a team, and obviously Ken Hinkley would be the front man that would take the heat, but as a team. Um, I and personally, this is where I thought it came undone for us was in that middle section of the year. We we seemed to be out coached all too often, and um, we the team just seemed to be a little bit uh, what's the word disjointed. Um, our structures seemed to be exposed too regularly. Uh, Matt Loby was a perfect example. I mean, how often were we complaining about? him tapping it straight to the opposition. It was almost like um, the opposition knew our playbook better than what we did and took advantage of it. And, again, they're all facts that sort of highlight... To me. I mean, none of us know except for them, but they're all little tidbits that I take away and think, well, maybe it is the, um, the coaches that uh, sort of lost their way in as much as the players'.
0: Yeah, I think it comes down to leadership and that's the, the leadership on the field which I think as a collective was pretty poor this year. I think leadership off the field, so the coaching staff, Ken Hinkley. I'm talking also about Keith Thomas, I'm talking about David Kosh. the board. I think we rode the wave of goodwill from previous seasons a bit too much um, and maybe just expected that success would occur this year. Um, I think the signs were there in the pre-season that maybe things weren't all that right. As I said, we wrote them off as... I'm sure they know what they're doing. But, you know, when you come into the season and you end up losing to the two worst teams in the league and, you know, when you're expected to win a premiership and you're, what, 5-9 and and five and nine or whatever we were, um, you know, close to the halfway mark of the season, um, I think leadership certainly comes into it and certainly the mental side of it. And I, think, I don't think there was anyone there saying, hey, are we actually doing the right thing here? Do we need to pull things back and get our heads back in the game?
3: Yeah, I'd agree with that. Like, there were signs in... Uh... Was it, the, was it the Hawthorne game where we had something like 30 less inside 50s than Hawthorne? I think in the showdown, we had something like 35 less inside 50s. I mean, there, there were signs there that although we were winning and we did come through that, you know, that hard patch at the start of the year 3-2, there were signs there that, you know, I don't think we were as infallible or as dominant as we seemed. And even at halftime in the West Coast game in round six. So, well, we were 3-2. and two, We were 20 points up at halftime against West Coast, but that game... Do you remember how flat the team was against West Coast? Not just when we coughed up that lead in the second half, but even the first half. Like, it felt like almost like we were back at Football Park in 2010. Like, it was just one of those Sunday games that was dreary, and the players were just doing what they had to, and everyone was going through the motions, and... I don't know, it just seemed a little bit, it seemed all too comfortable, and then when West Coast ramped up the pressure, we even then we still stayed with them, like there was a kick in it with, what was there, a minute and a half to go, there was still a kick in it, we could have pinched it, mm. but, um, you know, between halftime against West Coast and obviously the week after when we got smashed by Brisbane, which was just ridiculous, um, clearly something went on within the team, now... Is it mental? Is it physical? Was there something we didn't know about? Was there a leadership issue? Did Ken kind of see there were some issues with the team, but because he had abject faith in his leaders, did he think, oh, well, it's just a blip, we'll come good? Did we have to maybe drop a Jonas or drop a a, a Lobie or drop another big name to kind of, I don't know, put, put the team back on the rails? It just seemed like... The season got away from us, but it got away in such a way that we could kind of see it was happening, but it seemed like no one was willing to kind of really step up on-field or off-field to
1: stop it from happening. Funny you say that, Triby. Scotty just tweeted in asking um, or stating coaches maybe trusted our leadership group too much, and seven minutes ago Dylan posted up, was he dodging would-be tacklers at the showground tribes? (laughs)
3: He was dodging me, safe to say. I was following... (laughs) Probably, I checked my iPhone, I was following him for a good 650 metres minimum. But uh, no, he was in fine nick. Don't worry about him, Dylan. He'll be there next year.
1: I promise. And did did we trust our leadership group maybe a little bit too much? I think that... I think so.
2: Yeah, I think that, um, like we sort of said earlier, that this was a year that Ken can hold over the players for the rest of his time at Port Adelaide, or at least until they're all retired. Um, in that I think there was a bit of a betrayal. That's probably how it feels. In that Ken obviously puts a huge amount of trust in his players and with the young players obviously that pays dividends particularly because they feel like they've got belief, they get a bit of confidence out of it. But when you give that trust to your leadership group that you're trusting to, you know, keep everything together on the field and do what you can't and they fail as dismally as they have, I mean that's just pretty awful. You'd have to think there's gonna be some big changes to that leadership group at the end of the year. Um yeah, I think that the betrayal—that sort of, not like a deliberate betrayal, but just a betrayal of incompetence and laziness and lack of focus—is uh, the story of this season. That disconnect between coaches and players.
0: The next point I had was a uh, physical. How did we see the physical side to our season? So our fitness base, injuries, physical development. Certainly at the start of the season, I questioned our fitness. I thought we looked drastically unfit. As I mentioned at the time, um, we know they did more running than ever before. All the players, all the staff said they upped the amount of actual pre-season running they did. Did they overcook the players for that first quarter of the season? Because as you mentioned, Tribe, even in the games we won, we were just hanging on by the grit of our teeth against North, against Hawthorne, against Adelaide. They all bombarded us with inside 50s in that second half. um, And we were just able to hold on.
2: I think that we... I think that we got the fitness right, which I know is going to sound weird, but I'll explain why I think that. And that is that you want to have if – you, if you've got a good fitness coach that knows what he's doing, you want them to make sure that the team is good enough to have, have pace early in the season and hit their – ideally their fitness peak, I suppose, in the last few rounds and in the finals. Um, and I think that's that – if you look at our year, I mean, that's what our players did. Like they definitely were – I think they were fitter after the, after the bye – um, they certainly looked stronger in that second part of the year. And although part of that is gameplay, I think part of it is just that that was the part of the year that they were more ready for physically. And while it didn't work this year, obviously the results didn't go our way. Um, it's an improvement year by year thing. So this year we got used to that pattern of fitness. Hopefully next year it's just a matter of getting remembering what happened this year. Not just on field, but more importantly, what processes all the players went through, like when you do different sorts of training and so forth, and it becomes routine and it becomes something they can just get better at. Because if we had that same, if we had that same fitness form line next year, but it's just a little bit higher each week, um, we're top four. Uh, I think I think that's really the difference we're looking at here. So I've got no issue with the fitness setup for this year, personally. Well, Ken Hinkley came
1: out last week and said that they won't be going to Dubai and uh, and part of the reason is they've created the fitness base now and so now it's maintaining it. So I guess maybe along that logic, maybe you know it's just something that had to happen and the players' bodies couldn't handle it, but they will be better for the run next year. And, heaven forbid, I know Ford and uh, REH will be... Uh, Rolling over in their beds. If it happens, we might be looking to put on some more muscle mass and size.
2: I don't think we need it.
0: Anyway, well, I think, I think I think we could be bigger across <laughs> the ground. I think we could be bigger.
2: Ah, uh, but is that okay? We could be bigger, but is that down to just you know the players we're recruiting, or is it actually the fitness training? Because I think a lot of it's just that we've got a. If you look at our height weight comparison, like I think we just have a lot of shorter players than most other sides in a lot of positions. I don't know. That's part well, of but it. you
0: can still be stronger and everyone says it's, you know, it's going to a more of a, a running-based game plan, but you look at the three top sides this year, you know, Frio, West Coast, Hawthorne, they're all built like brick shoot houses.
2: Well, the game's changing next year because, um, as we've talked about, you know, less interchanges. Uh, so you're going to need runners. Runners are going to come back. It's going to be a more grindy game, I reckon, and I think that we've got the sort of players that can uh, cope with that well, really. Like the slow guys... Uh, I suppose they won't get a lot slower, but oh, they still will. And if you've got a better fitness base than them, I mean, you're going to take more advantage of the fact that there's less interchanges. I would have thought, because um, you can run harder for longer.
0: Yeah. Well, speaking of game plan, uh, there was there was a noted game uh, plan style uh, change in style in 2015. Gone was the freewheeling, hard running slingshot that we saw in 13 and 14, and. In this place was a congested, boundary-hugging stop-start game plan that we just couldn't really execute for large periods of the year. We we're actually the number one stoppage side in 2015, meaning we had more stoppages than any other club. We had 300 more stoppages this year than we did in 2014, so a 16% increase. Uh, teams did what they uh, could do to remove our ability to run. We struggled to work through the corridor. You know, as I said, in, in this place we played the boundary line and saw a lot of throw-ins, a lot of consecutive uh, stoppages. It was a bit of a theme all year, and I guess uh, to add to that, one of the big statistical differences was our lack of bounces. We've had uh, less than half the bounces than what we did in 2014. We had 7.4 bounces a game uh, compared to 15.2 bounces a game in 2014.
2: I want to disagree with the premise of what you just said, Maka, sorry. Um, in the, you say that we changed our game plan, but I think that what happened in the first part of the year is that we didn't change our game plan, but our oppositions had adjusted to us. So you talk about how we had more stoppages. I don't think it was us forcing those stoppages. It was them forcing those stoppages. You know, we had less bounces because they were more clued on to us, wanting to use the slingshot at every opportunity. Because we were playing last year, we were still playing a pretty outside sign-of-game sort of game. We were trying to avoid contests and just run as much as we could. Um, And that's exactly what we tried to do for the first half of the year, and it's only in the second half of the year that I think we actually saw a game plan change, which is that we, rather than just sort of run, 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 we actually get a bit closer to really contesting and move the ball up the field. So... I think that the game plan for us changed, but I think it changed in the second half, not the first half.
1: I agree. I, I think we didn't react. I think the teams reacted to our game plan and we, we just tried to uh, stick fat with our game plan, which is sort of Ken Hinckley's mantra, and uh, and we came off second best and they were able to create the ex, excess stoppages and, and we couldn't overcome it. And that's what goes back to me... I'm just going to disagree... Coach I think we had opportunities
0: down. to play the slingshot. We just chose not to. Like, we just didn't take risks in that first half of the season. I think it was noted that we we played this sort of slow possession-style football across half-back. You know, there was no run. There was no taking the game on. There was certainly no trying to play through the corridor. I think the opportunities
1: were there. We just chose not to take them. Well, I'm, not,
2: I'm not convinced the opportunities were there, Macca.
1: Yeah, I don't think they were either. I think even from the pre-season... Uh, the teams had worked out how to nullify our switch for play. And you look at the pre-season Adelaide game, they they deprived our switch and that flowed through into the season uh, early on where we just had an inability to be able to switch and transition the play. Hence the reason we were kicking down the line and had a lot more stagnant game play.
2: What do you reckon, Tribey?
1: Well, I think we definitely missed
3: Showbags-Polek. But uh, I think the reason why we came back uh, to being a more... Uh, flu- we certainly looked look more fluid in the back end of the season is because we added Sammy Gray. I thought Sam Gray added a lot of run and zip and drive that we just had patently lacked. Like, I hate to bring up that Geelong game at Adelaide Oval, but, man, did we stink that night. We just couldn't move, mm. we couldn't run... We couldn't find any space at all. And we just ended up looking like it was, you know, almost 2012 in terms of being choked by Geelong and having kicked randomly out of bounds. So I think there's merit to what you're both saying. I think teams definitely did look to counter, would have definitely looked at a lot of video footage over the summer and work us out. But at the same time, I think we really did try to go, okay we'll meet you move for move. And I think we tried to be a little bit more Hawthorne in that we tried to be more surgical, but we just didn't have the skill set to pull that off.
0: Yeah, well, it was all about the skills and that's uh, where we broke down so often in 2015 for me. Um, I think we had the most clangers of any team in 2015 as well. Uh, The second most non-free related clangers behind Gold Coast. So there was uh, a definite need for improvement there. Um, you kind of lost count how many times we'd come running out of the back line only to turn it over. You know, handballs that missed targets, constantly kicking over our forwards' heads. And the Geelong fast at Adelaide Oval, where we had the most out on the falls uh, ever recorded in a footy game. I mean, this would be my biggest criticism of Ken and the group this year. And, you know, despite all the talk at the end of 2014 that we needed to improve our skills to compete at the top end, we wanted to be like Hawthorne despite all the talk that we you know, spent considerably more time with the footies in the pre-season, I, I don't think we actually did. Or if we did, it clearly had no positive impact on the skill level of the site.
2: I think that's because the problem isn't skill level, it's game plan. I think that was the main issue. So if you look at Hawthorne, and I've talked about it in previous weeks, they're really efficient. And the reason they're really efficient is not because they're fantastic kicks. Like, they're good kicks. I don't think they're that much better than our guys when they know where they're kicking to. Um, but the reality is that they know how, they know where the opportunities are going to be. They know where their players are leading to. And, and more importantly, that they will be leading and about how hard they will be leading, which I think we have been inconsistent with this year. Um, and I think that that's a huge part of it. We had a a very fitness inefficient game plan for a large part of the year, in part because of our structural deficiencies up forward where we'd kick the ball forward and we just couldn't hold it there. Um, I think that's just a huge part of our inaccuracy. And if you've got your players running full chat just to get a kick at goal, it's always going to hurt your accuracy. Whereas, you know, as we said, Hawthorne, they've got options. They've got structure. They can set it up. Uh, and when you've got the ball, you know, just forward of the centre square even you're a Hawthorne player, like, you know where players are going to go and you've got real options. Whereas if you get the same thing at Port Adelaide where you get the ball just in front of the centre square, it's going to be an absolute jackpot of a lucky dip as to what you get. If Wingard's up forward, you're pretty excited uh, and you'd probably just try and kick it in his vicinity. But otherwise, or Schultz on the lead, but that's it. That's our two options that you can rely on. And I think that's a, the reason why, until we have a reliable forward structure that the midfielders know, we're going to consistently look like an unskilled side, even though I don't think we're as badly skilled as we appear.
3: I agree with really? that. Like, I, you tend to watch Hawthorne at times when they're playing well, and... They've just got this ability. I mean, you know, as you've said, we're not not talking about guys who are super skilled or even particularly quick, but they just know where to run so that Mm -hmm. everybody has an option, be it uh, roughhead up forward, be it Berg going running to space, cycling running to space. They've just got... And Jordan Lewis. I mean, Jordan Lewis is hardly the quickest guy and Sam Mitchell included, but find ways to make that eight or nine metre diagonal run forward, backward, sideways, halfback, wing, back pocket, they can just find space so that the guy with the ball in his hand, be it a Sean Burgoyne, who's who's an unskilled guy for Hawthorne, I want to say um, that Osborne guy who retired and came back and then came back again. Like you get you get some hack from Hawthorne who they bring in who's like the fifth guy on the list, and they make him look like an absolute gun because he's always got an option to kick to no matter where he is on the field. Yeah. And I think that is where we've let ourselves down, especially without a line breaker like you know Pollard is that um we've lost that ability to find space we've had guys plugging up our space we've had our structure fall down and at times when we have played poorly pit is going to look like he doesn't know how to keep the foot if his two options are running up a blind alley or kicking it to a three-on-one and i think that's ultimately the difference
2: yeah i think that when we talk about finding space i think that's Uh, uh, it's not an accurate way to describe the problem, but it's really about kicking two guys on their own. Um, And that comes from hard work, primarily hard work or being particularly sneaky and, you know, getting away from your opponent, which is hard to do. Um, And yeah, we don't get a lot of that. And you look at that confidence, like you just said, you can be a a shit Hawthorne player and you get that ball just forward to the centre square and you feel confident and you can be a bit more relaxed than... I don't know, any other player in the Port Adelaide side in the same position except for Chad Wingard who will have a go at dobbing it, um, or, or um, Matty White for that matter. Um, that's just, I think that's our, our real deficiency, just that forward structure. But hopefully, well, talk,
1: we'll... Talking about deficiencies, Scott tweeted in and asked um, Adam Simpson wanted his players to kick on both sides of their body or they're using, using both feet and to muscle up. Will that be one of our goals in the pre-season?
2: I don't think we're going to change what we've already got as our long-term plan because of Adam Simpson. Um, We might, who knows, but if we do, it'll be a change that conforms to the work we've already done. Um, Kicking both sides is nice. If you're going to do that, though, you probably need to start it when you're 18, not sort of have a crack at it when you're 25, um, because it's hard to learn. It's hard to learn that well. And the only way you're going to learn it at AFL level, uh, if you're already an AFL footballer, is by doing it at AFL level, and that can hurt your accuracy and cause turnovers. Um, So I don't know if that's something we can do as far as the kicking both sides. That's probably more a recruitment goal. But as far as stronger bodies, we could do that. They might be a bit stronger next year. They might already be part of the plan. But, uh, yeah, I'm not not too concerned with what Adam Simpson's doing at this point.
3: Who does Adam Simpson think he is? Like the coach of Ajax Amsterdam or something? Like That's what they do. They take 12-year-olds and 13-year-olds in their academy teams and if they're a left-back who is predominantly right-sided, they play them, on, they play them in the right-back position for the next two years so it forces them to use their left foot. I don't think that's realistic in the AFL system, is it? You've just got to roll the dice and, as you said, Portia, you've just got to hope you recruit properly.
2: Yeah, well, I mean, I think that also I've talked previously about how the WAFL supports their AFL teams, so he might be in more of a position to actually do that Like if Adam Simpson, as the head coach of West Coast, says we want double-sided kickers, I reckon pretty much every waffle will would say, all right, guys, you're learning to kick on your other side. I reckon there's that kind of uniformity in WA as far as wanting to get behind the local teams. Um, So that might happen and that might be a long-term thing that they can benefit from because obviously they know the Western Australians better than anyone else because they tell them more. Um, I don't think it's something we can replicate in South Australia because the SNF4 clubs all hate us. Uh, Yeah. But I think that could actually work for him. But it's a unique position.
1: Yeah. Mm. All right. Favourite win for the year? The Hawks away game. I, uh, I, we really uh, gathered momentum, looked like a class side for four quarters and beat the premiership favourite at the time. So that provided me some reassurance that we're going in the right direction.
2: Portia? I really liked that second Hawthorne game because I was at the game and I felt from before the game started that we were going to win and we did. So, hooray. That was fun. GWS at home for mine. <laughs> it had the. Uh...
3: <laughs> I'm serious. It had. Are oh, you serious? <laughs> yeah, it had the executive feel of uh, one of the old Amy Stadium uh, games where we all had a lot of room. There were no queues for anything. And I uh... thought <laughs> it was great to just watch us you know, get physically challenged by GWS and absolutely send them packing in all facets of the game. The fights, yeah. the banter, the score,
2: Yeah, it, it is nice to have those sort of games where you not only get the victory, but you get the moral victory as well because they started that mm-hmm. fight and we won it so good. Yeah.
0: That was a good game, that one. I do yeah, like that one. One was it, the emotion yes. charge. Yeah. <laughs> Mine was the emotion-charged Collingwood match on a Thursday night. It was tough, hard, un- uncompromising footy in the wet. Two teams that had everything to play for. And the way we held on in the last 10 minutes was wonderful. The scenes after the game were uh, were pretty emotional as well. So I think that's the win that I'll remember from this year for a long time. Uh, I guess the last thing that I want to talk about is, uh, is the think of what happens to... I've got a couple of things here. What happens to... The triumvirate of John Butcher, Jay Schultz, and Mason Shaw.
2: Um, I'm in the Macca campus whereas as Mason Shaw. Sure I think he's gone. Jay Schultz, no idea, not a clue what's going to happen. I think, yeah, well, for, well, Freo's in the finals. We're not going to know, so I don't think it's even any point talking about it. Quite honestly, uh, John Butcher, I think he'll get kept on another year, but I kind of wish we could just make the call. I don't know. Shaw's gone. I- I would marry John Butcher I would kill Mason
3: Shaw and I would F Jay Shultz
2: <laughs> that
0: <laughs> that's exactly what it was
2: yeah ah
0: cool <laughs> Mitchell Andrew Moore and Aaron Young all gone I think Young might
2: get traded to a club that he wants to go to um, I think the others are probably gone I so think my- Young
0: will stay the other two are gone
2: I I think if a team like uh, someone that doesn't have really good second 10 players, like in those fringe on the 15 to 22, I think if they say to Youngie, look, we're interested, and Port say, all right, well, you upgrade our second round pick or something, um, and that's a goer, I reckon he would change clubs. I think that Port would take a, a pick upgrade for Young, and I think that Young would probably like to be in a team where there's more opportunity to play on the field.
3: We're so brutal. My aren't opinion we? doesn't really count in the wider scheme of things, but that's what I do. So,
2: <laughs> well, no, no, this is this is like Big Brother. We're actually voting people off, right?
1: Okay, that's right. We make the decisions. Here. We have to have a, a opinion, but it just sounds so brutal. But yeah, you, it'd be hard. You're hard pressed to really mount an argument for any three of those players really being on the list. You'd think that Moore and Young probably will get an opportunity. Um, Somewhere else, and Mitchell probably, yeah. You know, I mean, it's even hard for Mitchell to stay on just as a Magpies player, not on the AFL list, isn't it? With the SA rules. No, he can't. Yeah, no, uh,
0: yeah.
1: No. Yeah, so he'd have to, uh, he'd probably go back to WA, I would imagine. He'd uh,
2: probably go to the VFL, there's probably more
1: money there. He hmm. went or somewhere like Yeah, that. I was going to say, isn't there more in the SA AFL. Yeah, true, maybe.
0: All right, there it is. 2015, what a great season it was. It was all Very right. Very
2: memorable. It was all right.
1: Good
3: night. Yeah. <laughs> go to power, go port. Look at Chad
0: and Sean Burgon, who delivers beautifully on the chest of girls pick
2: it up here.